Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money and stress. Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. So today we are talking to John Lee of Work From Anywhere. And just to do a brief intro before we um, introduce John, uh, John, and we're very delighted to have him with us. He is a chartered accountant who trained with Deloitte. He um, has been to Smurfish and has a fantastic career behind him um, where he worked for many years as a senior finance leader for CRH and is now working with his second startup, Work From Anywhere, which is essentially a platform to help companies figure out how to hire or work from anywhere. So thank you very much, John, for joining us today. And um, I'm sure you'll be able to tell us some more interesting details about your background above and beyond what I've just uh, <laughs> summarised quickly. Well, look, thanks very much, Stephanie. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I've had an interesting journey. Uh, I think a yeah, 15-year career, 10 years in the corporate world, five years in the startup world, uh, and then three kids below five in the middle of it all as well. So it's uh, it's been a very interesting journey. But thanks uh, for having me here today. Nice to be on. I oh, know. We're delighted to have you. Yeah, three kids below <laughs> below five, you said. You've been yeah, busy it's like this from w- all your business ventures. <laughs> exactly. We've, this week, we had the youngest uh, of Barra. He's he's one and, and he started full-time crash. So it's been uh, it's been a week of, of bottle opening of champagnes and all the rest of it. It's been uh, <laughs> for, from his imagine. F&G. It's been good. I don't know. It's good. They're, they're settling in well, thankfully. Good, good. Yeah, because you guys made the move to Portugal not that long ago, really. So you've had a lot of change ongoing. Yeah, there's there's nothing as constant as change, is there? So yeah, I uh, I mean I I actually trained in in Deloitte back in the day, uh, obviously during the financial crisis. So that was a turbulent couple of years. Then moved to CRH up to the Belgrade office, and then went over to uh, the Netherlands and uh, start off financial controller role over there. Uh, the, you know, CRH is a very decentralized business, so there wasn't a huge amount of expats uh, at the time. Um, but it was a great experience. Absolutely loved it. Spent a number of years over there. That's where I met my wife, Dee, in an Irish pub of all places. Uh, no surprise there. Uh, but then we quickly kind of embarked on a, on a big adventure. You know, pretty quickly, uh, she started uh, Culture Me, and I joined her in that, which was basically a startup to help companies uh, navigate different cultures. And we used that as an opportunity to travel the world with our daughter, Rosa. So by the time Rosa, you know, she's five years of age now, she's been to 25 countries. So that's been an interesting journey. We spent six months living in Thailand and then came back to uh, Ireland for the pandemic uh, and then literally what happened was is uh, the owners of the house we were renting they uh, basically said they wanted to move back in which was fine and we tried looking at other places to live in uh, in Cork and Galway and Dublin uh, but what became clear very very quickly is there was actually we looked at it as an opportunity to look at moving abroad again so uh, put together a database of every country in the world and essentially Portugal came up very very high in the list and uh, literally by the beginning of March we've moved here and already I have to say we've, we've settled in great obviously missed the family back home but we're, we're really loving Portugal so far 
and I suppose if you'd been to Thailand, you had an ex- you'd experienced living away from Ireland and particularly with a young family. You know, when you were looking at Portugal, did you was the fact that it was closer to Ireland kind of one of the factors? In other words, you can jump on a flight and come back if you need to. Or what was the driving like what what drove that decision? ultimately? Yeah, it, it was certainly one of the factors. So, so when we put together this database, we looked at, for example, places on the nomad list is a really good source for digital nomads of, of best places to go. We looked at CEO world, best place to raise a kid. We looked at the, the risk by country, the average temperature, you know, healthcare. Uh, infrastructure, cost of living, as well as obviously the tax side of it uh, as well. And I have to say, I mean, for us, Portugal comes up quite frequently on the best places to remote work in, in the world. And when you get over here, I mean, it's very, very easy to to, to see why. Uh, I mean, for us, it's a great education system. Uh, and we can already see it from how quickly the kids are settling. And also as well, it's interesting, you know, from my previous startup being an intercultural startup, you can see how different countries look and treat kids differently and look at family life very very differently and certainly you know mm. thailand and portugal are, are two countries where they are great at dealing with kids i'll give you an example for in Tha- when we were in thailand i mean i don't i don't i'm not very a hugely emotional guy but i mean i did cry i literally cried the last day we picked rose up from the crash in, in thailand such was oh. the generosity <laughs> and love they shared there they literally take the kids while you're in a restaurant they take rosa and they go and play with her for like 20 minutes half an hour while you're having a meal I mean, uh, like you just you don't get that in a huge amount of countries, but certainly in, in countries that are highly orientated towards families and, and kids, you, you do get that. And, and again, Portugal is quite similar in that respect. And that's actually a really interesting point, you know, because when you kind of think about moving, you know, to a location, we can tend to focus on kind of hard things that are easily measured, like, you know, a tax rate mm. or, you know, kind of what salary we're going to get or what rent we're going to pay. But the reality is it's the day to day interactions with the people who you're living close to is what also goes towards you know your your actual life experience and the quality of your life and interestingly i think as well when when i think of a family moving to a location like portugal probably one of the things i would think would be difficult would be the language i mean as a family how do you navigate that when you know obviously i assume none of you speak portuguese yet <laughs> yeah well, for us it was uh, i mean for us we're very passionate about trying to integrate in with the local culture i mean for me i speak six languages for them fluently so portuguese will be my seventh and it's a big part of my own value set to try and integrate in with the with the local culture as best we can and so it, it was actually quite interesting trying to pick out a school so you know typically you've got a choice between a local school or like an expat school. And for us, we managed to find this hybrid school in between, a school called Apprendices. And so what they do is it's led by Portuguese. Uh, they speak mostly Portuguese, like 80% Portuguese in the, in the school, 20% English. Uh, very big in Portuguese culture. Even the way they teach, for example, kids, you know, at a young age, they don't get homework. You know, so they, they follow some of the Nordic principles of education from that perspective. It's quite interesting. And so, but they're actually on the international stream. So they're on the international streams so that you can, if, if you had to move abroad, you uh, you could still stick on that international stream. So that was hugely attractive. So you're getting the best of the language, the culture, and we're already seeing it now, you know, Rose and Esme, they're already, you know, they're already speaking the language. They're, you know, they're like sponges at this age. So that for us was a big benefit. Yeah, unbelievable. That's amazing. And in terms of then of, you know, to kind of mention your point about culture, mm. how do you find integrating like locally? Do you find yourself kind of, you know, drifting towards the local Irish population or is it really about throwing yourself in and just like, right, we're here now, we're going to make friends with, you know, the locals? Well, yeah, for me, I've, I've found a kind of a formula that works very, very well uh, for me. I mean, for me, 
it's it's a uh, it's critical to avoid going into the habits of getting stuck in the Irish pubs or just following around the Irish community. Even though we actually have a, a lovely bunch of Irish friends here already, uh, but for us, you know, we try and uh, mix it with the locals, try and learn the language. You pick a really favourite hobby that you love. Like for us, we love tennis, or it might be, for example, rugby. When I was in the Netherlands, I joined the local rugby team. I made sure not to pick an expat rugby team. I made to pick pick one that was uh, that was uh, very much full, uh, filled with a lot of locals. And so they all mostly spoke, spoke Dutch. It was a great opportunity to learn the language as well. And, and that helped me integrate. I was playing a sport that I love. I was getting my exercise, and I was also kind of integrating with the local culture and learning the language. So you know, all those things combined, they're they're very very important aspects of us. Uh, of trying to do what we can to integrate in with the, the local culture. And I have to say, the locals here, they're lovely. They're really lovely to do with. They're very relaxed. Uh, it's a kind of uh, that lovely mix between Northern and Southern Europe, I would say, it would be my experience so far. Yeah, it sounds like it's really worked for you guys. So I suppose, you know, we probably have people listening today. And, and, and I know I, like, you know, daily speak to people who for whatever reason, have uh, in the main decided to kind of come back to Ireland to work remotely for an employer, usually a UK-based employer or a US employer. But, you know, we also have a large cohort of people who are living in Ireland and working remotely for an Australian employer who, you know, I mean, the time zone there can cause a challenge. But the key is it's becoming much more common. And and what you're doing as a family and also what your business is doing is, is just so much more topical post-COVID. So, you know, I'm interested, and I'm sure our listeners are, to understand a bit more about, you know, what are the tax and compliance issues that you are you know obviously expert on in terms of if someone wants to do this what do they need to think about well i mean the first thing the thing about it it depends if you're looking for an individual or from a company perspective but from a company perspective the first thing is just to uh, take a look at your you know your people funnel you know there's a lot of companies that are losing good candidates in their recruitment funnel because you know, they don't have a, a work from anywhere policy, for example, or a remote work policy of some sort. Uh, likewise, there's people that might be disengaged or not as productive as they can be or not happy uh, having low M- employee MPS scores because they don't uh, have uh, some kind of location flexibility. Uh, and, and lastly, then as a result, then having high attrition because you don't have it in place. So let me give you some tangible numbers here. You know, Airbnb, when they announced their work from anywhere policy in May, their careers page went from 400,000 to over 800 in the space of a month so wow. doubled yeah spotify a year after they announced their work policy they announced their results you know two of the key uh, features of it they reduced their attrition by 15 percent and they also significantly boosted their diversity inclusion so i mean there are some tangible reasons why and it, don't get me wrong work from anywhere is a misnomer you can't work from anywhere you want precisely because of these work uh, these t- challenges around you know, tax employment law and, and others. But you certainly can allow some countries or some states, for example, in the US, you can have some flexibility. So figuring out figuring that out is, is, is absolutely uh, critical. I mean, if you look at the risks, yes, there's no doubt there's, there are certainly a multitude of different risks. But again, it's about you know, what I often say to, to companies, whether you're looking to hire from anywhere or whether you're looking to work from anywhere, you've got to, first of all, start with you know, what's right for you and your business. Where do you plan on expanding in the future? What countries uh, you know, do you want to either hire a lot more people from in the future? Uh, what's your plans for what your, what your own employees want? Do you have a, I'll give an example, Grand Canaria, they have a ZEC regime that has a, a corporation tax rate of, if I'm not mistaken, 5%. Uh, so you can actually potentially, potentially open up a branch or a legal entity there, uh, allow you know, your employees to be to remote work in one of the best remote work uh, spots in the world, 
and also you know reduce your exposure from a from a corporation tax uh, perspective so you know some of these are risks you need to run away from some of them you can run towards from but if you like i can kind of go through stephanie some of the key risks to uh, to to watch out for yeah please do definitely please do so i guess if you look at it you know, you've got the tax and employment law ones are, are, are clearly going to be very, very big ones. If we try and break out, there's more than that, though. But if we look at it, the, the, the first one to start with is uh, is on the payroll tax side, both for an ind- person as an individual become potentially individually tax resident, depending on the number of days they spend there. But actually, even sooner than that, the payroll tax triggers from an employer. So you, know, you can have some countries that even after a, a day, a company might have a payroll tax uh, withholding or reporting obligation. Um, and so that can be quite tricky. Same thing for Social Security as well. The triggers can be different. Uh, for social security uh, but i think with social security you know if you're working from one country to another in some countries the social security rate can be zero percent and some countries it can be like in france you know nearly 45 percent there can be like a massive difference uh, in the triggers and also the amount of rates that you can have for social security in particular uh, you then have also corporation tax uh, so let's say somebody, for example, becomes individually tax resident and we haven't done it correctly as a company for that one person. You know, you can, of course, you can run into some fines for that and pay some taxes, back taxes and whatnot. Um, but your risk in, in a lot of cases will be reasonably limited to that one person. Uh, but if you take, for example, corporation tax, if somebody triggers what's called permanent establishment, uh, so let's say if somebody in a senior role or in a sales rendering role that remote works abroad for a period of time and they're doing high risk activities like in sales, if they trigger permanent establishment, you'll have this corporation tax risk. So basically, let's say somebody's generating two, let's keep a very simple example. Let's say somebody's generating $2 million worth of sales and the corporation tax rate of the country they're working in uh, remotely is at 30%. There's a potential, there's a potential risk that you may have, you know, 30% by the 2 million. Uh, as a, as a risk, which is 600k of potential risk, if you uh, if you haven't done your research, so uh, understanding that side of it can be uh, can be very very tricky, and of course it varies from country to country how they look at that. Uh, you've also got visa as well. Visa can be a very very important one uh, as well. So if you're working in a country for a period of time uh, and you haven't uh, declared that property to the authorities, you've gone in on a tourist visa. Well, then you're you're not using the correct visa. So the the difficulty for a company there is that. They may potentially ban you from ever hiring or working in that country again in future for or for a period of time. So, you know, as well as actual monetary fines. So there can be, in some cases, you know, for some of these risks, it can be just a fine. In other cases, it can be criminal penalties. So you really need to understand the differences and all that. And of course, there are other, you know, risks beyond that as well, you know, like insurance or duty of care. What happens if somebody gets injured uh, or also data, privacy and security, IP. You know, there are there are a ton of other risks, but the you know, the bottom line is, the, I guess, the message I'm trying to give is that there are ways you can narrow down these risks, be in control of them. Um, and, and, you know, as long as you're careful of the countries that you're going into and understand the local legislation and tax laws and whatnot, uh, I think uh, you've got at least some chance of handling it. And the other side of it is that it depends your com- on your company because your company, you know, a manufacturing company, this will never really work. Uh, but if you are in the battle of talent for software engineers, it's a different ballgame. So uh, I think the cost of not doing anything can be a risk, a big risk as well. So it's trying to balance the, the opportunities with the benefits, I guess. And I think you raise a really interesting point there because, you know, my own background would be one where I've kind of worked in a commercial role and, 
you see, you know, different departments within an organization and there's different drivers, there's different KPIs. So, for example, you're, you're talking to a HR manager who's telling you they can't resource, mm. you know, the, the, the company. And then you're also talking to a finance director who's telling you why he doesn't want to pee in a location. So it, I think it really is an education piece. And have you seen that? And you alluded to it earlier that companies are becoming more savvy, that they kind of have to come to this party if they want to be able to get the people that they need well yeah yeah 100 uh, stephanie i mean the, the big thing is and there's no doubt about it some of these risks really are you know just non-negotiable i mean somebody creating a permanent establishment in france like forget it it's just i'm sorry it, we're just not going to entertain it uh, so there's certain countries that you have to really really watch out for a particular type of roles and whatnot but that's the whole point of having a, a kind of a worker hire from your policy uh, I mean, uh, some of the ex- best examples of this, I, I like, for example, Hoppen. We had uh, the head of loan mobility for Hoppen join us last week, Imelda Keane. She's been a great addition. But in Hoppen, for example, they made clear when they put out a job uh, for, you know, on, on the jobs boards, they made clear, okay, which are the countries that we're going to allow this from? So if you're in uh, country ABC, you're going to be hired as an employee in a legal entity. In uh, these other countries, you're going to be hired, for example, via an employer of record. And these other countries, you're going to be hired as a contractor. And by the way, we don't hire outside of that. So that's a tremendous benefit for you know job seekers. They can see from the get-go what countries do they hire from, what the model is. And so that if somebody's applying from outside those countries, you know, they'll know not to apply. So I think that's where we need to get from the higher funder piece. Likewise, on the work from anywhere, companies need to make more transparent uh, in you know their jobs boards uh, in their careers pages what is your work manner policy how long is the maximum you'll allow somebody to work remotely uh, abroad for for example and, and how do you approach it and so I think the, the worst is when companies uh, don't make that clear uh, or simply put their head in the sand I mean putting your head in the sand unfortunately there's been a lot of companies who we've talked to in the last uh, in the last year that were quite defensive and risk averse a year ago and have actually seen a significant amount of talent leakage in the meantime and uh, you know unfortunately it's too late now you've lost a lot of talent you've got to rebuild build up your talent pipeline again uh, you know you might have lost some critical roles so I think it's important to do that risk assessment to see what is right for your company and your culture it might not be right for everyone uh, and but but I think for those companies that are in the battle for remote work talent uh, I think it is something you need to consider and I think yeah I mean I would definitely think that that's a really valid point because essentially what you're saying is don't be reactive you know don't react to people leaving the company Mm. because they're not happy that you haven't got this Mm. and also the other point I would make there is you know don't be reactive in terms of allowing each request that comes through the door because bear in mind you know ultimately there may be a cohort of people within the organization who want to live and work outside of the country they're employed in for whatever reason and you know have a policy so that you're not necessarily having to jump through the hoops every time a request comes and there's a there's a specific you know protocol to kind of analyze whether or not one request is is, is doable or not yeah and I, I think that also comes down to the advisors and the technology piece as well i mean having good advisors who are familiar in the space that can help give you some pointers as well as the technology piece i mean a fortune a fortune 500 company you know is going to need a very sophisticated technology tool set to be able to automate a lot of this uh, for example, and integrate in with their policy, uh, you know, whereas maybe uh, a smaller mid-sized company will need something less. We're seeing a lot of companies that are just using simply Excel, uh, to be honest. But I think the problem is, is that, you know, pre-pandemic, this was mostly focused, the biggest risks were around expats and we didn't have a huge amount. And we did have business travelers with some components of risk, but the major one was around expats and we didn't have a huge population. When I was in CRH, 
I was an expat. There probably wasn't more than 100 expats in all of Sphere H at the time, and, and they had about 80,000 yeah. employees. So the difference now is that you have a lot more people requesting work from anywhere. You know, if we look at, for example, some, some numbers behind this, American Airlines, in their most recent investor update uh, that they had, I think it was back in, I think it was, uh, it was April or May, they basically said that pre-pandemic, 20 to 25% of their travel was mixed as a mix between leisure and business, whereas now it's between 50 and 55%. So most wow. of their travel is workation. Now, don't get me wrong, the primary focus or purpose is probably still business or leisure. But the point being, somebody going on a week-long business trip, they'll tag on a few days of leisure, or somebody going on a leisure trip for a week or two, they'll tag on a week or two of, of, of business and working from that destination, uh, you know? And, you know, that that's a, obviously like a lagging report. In other words, it's probably like, it's looked back at mm. the last 12 months. Now that, you know, I, I read an article yesterday on BBC and it's talking about, you know, employers are hoping now there's going to be this return to the office now that we're coming into the colder months. And I suppose from an Irish perspective, employees are probably happy to go in and, you know, let somebody else pay their heating bill. But do you think or what what do you see in in the market happening now that, you know, we are kind of, COVID is, seems like it's a distant memory. Do you think this is going to, is set to continue? Well, it is. And actually, I mean, if you look at, for example, the last five years, uh, if you look at, for example, Google Trends, Google Trends is a is a, a good one to, to look at here. And for Google Trends, if you look at the search term workation or work from anywhere, uh, you can see how that's absolutely increasing out the gate. Uh, another one, which is that's on the work from anywhere piece. Uh, the other one, for example, is uh, remote work jobs. If you look at the search term on Google Trends globally for the last five years, remote work jobs, I mean, that is only uh, increasing. It's only continuing to increase. It's like a hockey stick. So you know, you've got to remember, we, we did remote work in the pandemic, which wasn't really true remote work. And companies now are beginning to figure out actually, well, they're beginning to look at the tools and the, the and the approaches and the processes and how they manage people and get the best out of them. They're starting to learn more better how to, to leverage remote work. But we're at the early stages of this. It's like you know, it's like when Ford and it came along with the assembly lines back in the twenties. You know, it took a lot of companies uh, around the world to you know 10, 20, 30 years to 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 follow that and learn how to make the the best of that. And it's the same thing with remote work. This is uh, yes, people have been remote working for you know, for uh, for years before the pandemic, but it's really only accelerated the last couple of years. And certainly from the demand side, you know, this is a value shift from, from employees. You know, uh, for me, uh, with Barra, my youngest, coming in, opening the door when I'm at working at home and you know, seeing him walk for the first time or him coming up to give me a, a hug. I mean, I can't replace that. You cannot replace, no office will replace that. Uh, and don't get me wrong, there will be companies that will have a great in-office experience. Uh, but for me, you know, being uh, close to family like that, for me, that's irreplaceable. So uh, I, I do I do think this is something that is uh, is not going away. And, and that's uh, what we're hearing from the market and from different companies. And I think, you know, more coming out from purely the tax perspective and specifically from the Irish tax mm. perspective, you know, I think the experience we see is the fact that, you know, the tax offices haven't designed their processes and procedures to deal with it either. And a lot of the documents that are talking about somebody coming to Ireland to work on a foreign employment contract, they, they always allude to this expat assignment scenario in the majority mm. of cases. And the reality is, like you said, that is few and far between now. You know, a lot of the what we see is exactly these employee initiated or, you know, an employer saying, well, I need this talent. Where is the person? And um, 
I would say you're on the money. In other words, by the time the processes and the tax offices are up to speed, we are probably looking at three to five years before we start to get systems that are designed to cope with this kind of fluid work arrangement where somebody may be working from two locations or three locations mm. in a given tax year. Well, 100%. I mean, th- this is a really, really tricky one. Even these big companies around the world are struggling with this now at the moment. Uh, and I mean, governments are working on this. The European Commission, for example, they're looking at a teleworking policy to put in place that people could work remotely abroad for up to 96 days. That's a threshold they're looking at now at the moment, which you know, does make a ton of sense. You'll get a lot of people that do want to avail the freedom movement and want to work remotely in a different country and tag on vacation or whatnot. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't want to have to trigger massive, you know, administrative burdens for uh, for people. And, and the other side of it is that working remotely abroad can really boost tourism in different countries as well. So so it's a very, very tricky one because technically the way the tax legislation is written in a lot of countries right now, you know, people only working literally a couple of days or weeks could trigger all sorts of really serious risks. So and, and the other side of it is that if you look at, for example, a lot of countries that are losing a tax base abroad because people now were, let's say, working remotely, let's say were working in the UK and now decided to work remotely back home in Spain with their family or whatnot, and you're finding they're losing tax base, but then how do they compensate? Because what's happening now in the meantime is remote workers are coming to the UK and they're actually, in some cases, not declaring their, you know, their, 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 that they've triggered residency or the fact that they're working there. And so what the UK, for example, and this is just one example of money, are doing, they're setting up cross-departmental task forces, you know, with HMRC, you know, with immigration and whatnot, to try and go after these remote workers that are not declaring it. So I think it's also a risk on the employee and the company side as well. And, and the biggest risk, to be honest, for the case of Ireland is that our marginal tax rates are very, very high. I mean, they are very, very high. They're in the mm-hmm. top 20 in the world. So uh, the challenge for us as a country is that, yes, we have a very competitive uh, corporation tax rate, but probably what will maybe potentially need to happen in the future is we'll need to rebalance it a little bit that at the moment it's extremely high individual income tax rate and a low corporation tax rate. We'll probably need to raise the corporation tax a little bit and reduce the, uh, the individual tax rate uh, or at least find some way of... Uh, attracting either the remote workers or, or people in that uh, that space that want to come work remotely in, in Ireland for a period of time. So it's a very tricky one. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're you're really right. Um, some brilliant stats there, John. Yeah, you, you've obviously, you've just got such a, an amazing insight and I think very specific knowledge in an area that has kind of ballooned in the last couple of years and that there, there isn't there isn't anybody doing the type of work you're doing. So we really appreciate you coming on to talk to us. Look, I think we'll have to arrange another chat because there's just so many more topics we can talk about. But um, yeah, it's been fantastic to talk with you. Well, I'd like to just give a just give a shout out to a couple of, of companies that are doing great work in this space. People uh, like Grow Remote, they're doing great. They're a great resource for anyone interested in learning more about work in general. You know, employers of record are interesting. You've got Boundless in Ireland. There's uh, many more as well globally. Uh, you know, Rowena Hennigan is abroad, but she's from Ireland. She's a great thought leader in the space, one of the top 20 LinkedIn influencers. So there's a lot to be proud of uh, of companies in Ireland in the space, as well as Hubley is another one as well, uh, a co-workspace company. There's a lot of really proud, let's say Ireland is becoming a little bit of a, almost a mini Silicon Valley of remote work startups. So uh, keep an eye out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be very interesting the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks so much, John. We'll have to do this again soon. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much, Stephanie. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. 
The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.